0: The Lord woke me
1: up about 2.30 this morning and he said, sit down, I'm, I'm going to give you the answer. You see, we're looking at the virus. The virus is nothing.
2: And I came today to declare
3: victory over the virus. Therefore, your life's not going to be cut off
0: early. You're not going to be taken out by some stupid bug.
3: Our life will
1: not be cut short, but we will, we will live until we are satisfied.
0: In Jesus' name, at destruction and famine, we live!
2: I think that's a great way to kind of dive into <laughs> our, uh, into our yeah. show today. So, welcome to our show. Um, I'm <laughs> Nate, and you're listening to Don't Repeat This. A uh, podcast filled with conversations that you probably shouldn't be having at the dinner table. Today's episode is, if you haven't figured it out already by now, the pandemic and churches. So, Gail, you were doing a little bit of um, reading and research on this. Um, what's what's going on? What do you have well, for us? I,
0: I mean, I had, I had noticed um, South Korea was interesting because they uh, initially there was a church uh, in South Korea that was linked up to more than 5,200 cases at the beginning. Um, I think this was way back in March. And South Korea did a really good job at um, testing a lot of people, and the numbers went down and were starting to do better after that. And then basically in August, uh, they ended up having another uh, bunch of cases. Uh, Let's see how many was linked up to it. At least 312 new cases were linked up to a church that was basically just disregarding social distancing and uh getting together and ignoring the rules that the country has set and a new outbreak started. So it's one of those things that's so relatable everywhere because like we were saying if you're putting your own community group or your own religious beliefs as the, at the forefront and then boom your country which has fought hard to like you know try and get something under control can lose so much ground like and uh a new outbreak can start spreading all over the place. So um, it's it's really hard because you have so many different groups of people in the country with different uh, ideas and ways of doing things and, and groups that they identify with. And then you're telling them all, we all need to be on the same page and have the same mentality about taking this seriously. And some people just don't.
3: I'm going to jump in here and say, I think they are misguided. And this is something that we fundamentally disagree on a lot. But, you know, you're only you only know as much as you you've learned Mm. so so they their experience has led them down a path of thinking that their their own personal freedoms are more important than the safety of their community
2: i do feel like there's a little bit of irresponsibility there because at this point it's so well known and Mm -hmm. it's so obvious but now like at least to me and my uh my observation Is that they're being willfully ignorant? They're Mm. choosing to find um, whether it's news articles or conspiracy theories um, or anything to back up their belief and their argument. I know I'm kind of taking us down another tangent, um,
0: but that's a good question. To go there, I think no, I think we should totally go there. What do we think is behind, or why do we think churches are doing this? You know, you're touching on this a a bit, Vicky, by saying that you think it's um you know it's what you've what you've been taught it's where you're up to on this process of learning and you you know this is the information that's led you in this direction to think this is the right approach nate you're saying like yeah you're kind of countering that with you're being irresponsible and you do still have a responsibility yeah if you haven't picked up by now that this is a problem and that we all need to work on this uh something's off
3: yeah I would say, you know, their, their communities are where they're getting a lot of their information from, and they're not really taking it upon themselves to look outside that community structure. Um, so I've noticed that in a lot of like evangelical churches, um, and this is something that we've talked about previously, is the idea that God will take care of you is kind of a more important than like, I should take care of myself and the people around me that aren't necessarily affiliated with God in in so far as like God, like if I get sick and I pray hard enough and I believe hard enough, I'll get better because God will take care of me. I feel like that kind of ties into this whole COVID mindset of like, I don't need to wear a mask that takes away my personal freedoms. God's got my back. Jesus has my back, you know? And, and, And also this is something like, aside from the fact that like, you know, it's, it's a pandemic, um, that's very real. They see it as as this is something that m- m- could have been planned. It's a pandemic, mm. you know? It's not even something. Yeah. No, and I'm not saying that that's like yeah. the right way to go about it. I'm just saying like this is shit that that people legitimately believe is true.
1: Right. Legitimately.
3: Right. And um for you to say, "No, no, no, you're wrong. Just look over here at these facts and evidence." They're going to say, well, you're in the out group, you're, you're a Democrat, yep. you're a liberal, you're whatever, you're not in my church, so I don't trust you because you're not my community, and, um, you're probably just saying this because you want to hurt me because this is a plan by yeah. the Democrats, and my freedom, even, even if all that is not true, my personal freedom is more important than me to just listen to someone, um, I find that
0: so interesting on the level of, I mean, obviously as a Canadian, when I hear Americans going on about how this is a plan to like, you know, dethrone Trump or you know, like that it's a political ploy. It's a little baffling because it's like you do realize that there are countries outside of the United States. One. And two, (laughs) it's affecting countries outside of the United States where people are actually dying. And three, those other countries don't care about your like it yes, other countries are impacted by the USA, but we're not all going through a pandemic together to fake, you know, or to try and dethrone Trump. So it's just sometimes that that train of thought is a little baffling, right. but I definitely see, um, you know, even in Canada and in, in, uh, in evangelical circles, cause that's a lot of my background and I have social media and connections to people and I'm seeing that sort of, uh, what you were explaining about in-group, out-group. Well, if my church community is telling me this, I trust them. And so I've noticed conspiracy theories are thriving, um, a lot more in the people I know connected to faith communities, which was puzzling to me initially. And I read a few articles on it to try and figure out what is it that attracts people of faith to these conspiracy ideas? How, why is that? I mean, I think that could be a whole side topic to go down mm-hmm. at one point, but I just finding it interesting of um, what you were saying about, you know, God can take care of us and we don't need, you know, we don't need to look at the science necessarily because you know, God's bigger than science, or he controls science anyway, so, (laughs) you know, like, that's so
3: weird, it's so hierarchical, like, like there's us, and then below us are, like, you know, the animals, and then plants and stuff, and then above us is, like, science, and then above science is God, like, that's not how, that doesn't make any sense to me.
2: That's (laughs) not how anything works.
3: Yeah, (laughs) but it's, like, so neatly organized, it's, like, this is the box for science and this is the box for god and this is the box for or this is the box for people and humanity and this and and the democrats and the republicans and then above all
0: of it god is watching and controlling everything um, I think you're touching on something so important. It's just popping in my head as you're saying it, Vicky. but like that need for structure and control. Like, yeah. I think you're touching on what I think might be driving conspiracy theorists, driving even faith communities is, you know, God is supposed to be looking after everything. And this whole situation makes people feel very uncertain and un like they don't have grounding under them. There's no secure foundation. And that's one of the comforts of believing in God is that someone's taking care of looking after you. Um, so I think, I think that, that desire for control, that desire to, to have a structure, to know what you're supposed to do, who's in charge of what and how things are going to get fixed and who's going to solve the problem. Sort of to have an outline for everything, uh, is very attractive to people who are in faith communities, um, and could possibly be behind a lot of what's, you know, the kind of Mm. rhetoric that keeps coming out of a lot of people I see on social media, kind of leaning more towards conspiracy theories. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Um and you know like I have a low tolerance for the kinds of actions that I'm seeing coming out of these faith communities. Um but I don't I don't disagree with you Vicky. Um I just wish I could feel about it the way that you feel about it maybe you seem to be a bit more gracious than i am i'm just sitting here going like fuck them all um and you're like well hang on there are (laughs) extenuating circumstances there are reasons they act the way they act and i i do and i relate to that i think the reason i have such a low tolerance is because i was brought up in fundamentalism left
3: right you got out (laughs) yeah
2: exactly and i think if i can get out you anyone can
3: get out right but you have (laughs) to give yourself credit there because there's there's a certain amount of strength that it takes to break away from everything you know and Mm -hmm. some people uh never get to that point
0: yeah it's
3: it there's a there's a variety of things um that a variety of factors that probably led you to make the decision that you did to leave and to separate and you know not everyone will have all of their stars line up in a way where it it makes sense for them and they Mm -hmm. feel they feel safe or not even feel safe but they feel like they can do it
2: right so right. i think there comes a breaking point too and not just necessarily a sense that you feel like you can leave but the sense that you feel like you have no choice but to leave um and that the the stuff that you're seeing within your community is incongruent with um and that that kind of um internal noise um can only i think can only come with some exposure to the world outside, which is why, I like, the more crazy churches, um, like the one that I was brought up in, have a tendency to be super insular, and...
0: They make you afraid of the outside world, right? Like, they tell you, don't listen to things outside Mm -hmm. of you can't listen to certain music, certain movies, certain TV, even associate with other churches. Like it's Mm -hmm. to that extreme where you're even afraid of other faith communities that don't adhere to the strict rules of your faith community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And even, and then if you take a step out, I think the, uh, the difference in approach then for some of those, like the, the more mainstream evangelical churches, um, and, and the mega churches tends to be more of, uh, we know that the outside world is saying xyz and we recognize that these things exist and are out there but we have the real answer so they're not a hundred percent ignoring it but i think they're a little bit more insidious in that they spin things a bit and try to manipulate their followers um which is why i think people can get stuck in those areas a bit longer but the the other thought that i was kind of wondering about is the need for churches to Break and maybe we've already touched a little bit on it, but the need for these churches and these communities and people within the churches to break restrictions, to not wear masks, to um, to to gather in large groups, and continue living life as if everything is normal.
3: Yeah. Well, I think it goes back to. I mean, and again, I'm not. I'm not from an evangelical background. I don't like. I, I'm speaking out of purely hearing what. Um, My evangelical or ex-evangelical friends have said, but it seems like it is God will take care of me. And also this virus is made up or not that big of a deal. It's like a flu. I've heard that so many times. It's just a flu. It's like another flu. Um, And people die from the flu every year. And as long as we have faith in God, we show up to church, we'll be fine.
0: I not realizing
3: that the virus—so, first of all, this is something that, like, really bothers me. The virus, if it is something on this earth—and maybe you guys can clear this up for me because it's confusing—would not the—like, isn't the virus then created by God? Because doesn't God create everything? Like, yeah. isn't he responsible for creating things? So, mm-hmm. like, the virus is separate from God's plan. Doesn't really add up to me because didn't then God create right. the virus. Right, and that's—
2: That is, um, that leans towards a, um, a kind of Calvinist approach to, um, to problems like the pandemic, um, where God is in absolute control over every minute detail of everything that happens in the universe, including things that are, from our point of view, evil or malicious, um, God is in control of all of it. So the pandemic is... God is responsible for the pandemic.
0: In some's view, some and some people's faith construct and the way that they understand God to operate, that makes sense to them. I don't know that that fits at all with how I would imagine a benevolent, kind God or good God of creating things that are murdering, killing. Like, I don't, I don't know. feels disturbing to attribute things to God that are just horrendous. Um, like, oh, someone got raped. Well, God is behind everything. I think yeah, there it, there's a, a lack of what people have to do with, Situations and personal responsibility, and trying to just put God at the trying to make sense out of something can be taken uh, in a direction that just actually doesn't bring clarity, but just I don't know, does a lot more damage in the long term. uh, Trying to pin it on God while it can be helpful at the same time, I don't want to actually say, Oh, God made this happen so I can have free time to do this, and then ignore. You know, 200,000 yeah. deaths and yeah. say, that was all for me. <laughs> you know, like right. my needs were so important to God that like we sacrifice all these human lives and all this suffering. And it's not even people talk about the death toll, but the amount of people who end up suffering and having physical consequences for the rest of their lives in yeah. terms of their lives.
3: That
2: we don't and, know and about. And
3: mm-hmm. not even like the, the physical aspect, which is absolutely horrendous, but the economic impact of mm-hmm. this virus um, across the entire world, but especially in the United States, has been yeah. it, it, very acute. Um, and on top of that, you know, there's people that they owned they owned their homes. Now they can't pay for their mortgage. So, like, what's going to happen with that? There's people that... Um, Lost their jobs and can't pay off their debt that they're accruing. There's like you know, and and or
2: can't even pay rent.
3: Right, exactly. And people who are getting evicted and, and are now stuck in the situation of like, where do I go? Because mm-hmm. there's a pandemic and people, I can't stay with family necessarily because we have we have to social distance. So now, All where am I? All that supposed to
0: suffering, su- Vicky. All of that suffering is yeah. for me. It's also yeah. that I have some free time. God is trying to carve out yeah. some space for me to learn Clearly. whatever I
3: needed to. <laughs> That's very, very important. I think it, that touches mm-hmm. on, like, the freedom thing, too. It's like, sometimes mm-hmm. I feel, and this is going to come out, if my father-in-law hears this, he's going to have my head on a plate. But sometimes <laughs> I feel like this country puts too much emphasis on the importance of freedom. And I don't mean freedom in that like you are free to live your American dream, you are free to have a family and a home and have your rights. I'm saying the freedom that makes your existence the center of the universe and everyone else's existence becomes lesser than. Mm
0: -hmm. Because
3: wearing a mask is not about keeping yourself safe. It's about protecting other people. Like if you understand anything about fluid dynamics and how air moves through a piece of cloth, you'll understand that, yeah, particles can get into your mask. If someone is not wearing a mask, that's not the point of a mask. A mask is to protect the people around you. And you'll notice that the people who are very anti-mask do not give a shit about Mm -hmm. people who are not in their in-group. They just don't care. So I guess... You know, it's it's really sickening. But I think Nate, your initial question, which was why why do churches continue to do this, where you know they they, they like to break the rules. Um, I think it has a lot to do with that mentality of like yeah. my my personal freedom is more important than your safety.
2: Yeah. So I think what um, what motivates the the rule breaking as well um, is that the american church um particularly evangelicalism but to to a degree a, a, a couple of the main lines and 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 uh, some catholic parishes as well have this embedded american idea that my individual freedom is more important than society's freedom i know vicky you touched on that and that was basically the point that you were trying to make um i'm just repeating your point now um uh like every man on social media does they thank see you. a woman now have a good idea
0: and <laughs> now we understand nate thank you yeah. so much
2: yeah so thank you for the idea vicky You're welcome. um that i'm now just parroting your point but i i think that that you do touch on something very important that american society is built on individual freedoms um, whether or not that's actually baked into the um, the way that our uh, Constitution was written, I think that's how we have interpreted it. And it's unfortunate because freedom of a society and legitimate, true personal freedom does not hinge on my individual rights to act, do, or be whatever I want it like my, my individual freedom needs to stop where my neighbor's health and wellness is being infringed upon. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a concept that Americans just are by and large unwilling to, it's not
3: politically correct, Nate.
2: God, right I'm here. not politically
3: correct. <laughs> and I do not need to be silenced by the libs. Okay. <laughs> Oh my god! The liberal the- snowflakes cannot tell me what to do with my body. My body, my choice.
0: I wanted to cut back to something you were saying, Nate, really fast. What you were saying about American Christianity, I think that individualism transcends the US in that, you know, we mentioned South Korea. I've seen it in Canada too, that that group think that Vicky you were referring to earlier where people are putting themselves in their group before you know, everyone else outside of their group. But I think maybe in American Christianity, looking at it as a Canadian, one of the things I've noticed that I find really concerning is that often the churches in the USA link patriotism up with their faith, with Christianity in particular, where like at the front where they have the cross, they have the American flag, which is something you would never see like (laughs) in Canada. But like this linking with those American values become associated to your faith in a very deep, way that translates out and makes American Christianity a little bit unique um, in that that individual, us before anyone, me before anyone else mentality, uh, America first, you know, uh, which translates into an individualism, becomes linked up to to the Christian faith in a way that's, it's like a marriage that's super unhealthy, and that dynamic just, um, it's kind of icky. So
2: uh, we've been talking about churches who um, are, by and large, acting in, in, a, in a way that's relatively, <laughs> relatively, quite unhealthy uh, with, with respect to the pandemic. But we, uh, all all of us attend a church um, based here in New Jersey, even though, Gail, I know you live in Canada, and um, Vicki, you and Mike live out in uh, California. But when we were all together here in New Jersey, um, we all attended a church uh, in Montclair, First Congregational Church of Montclair. And Gail, you had an interview or you interviewed um, our pastor, um, the Reverend Ann Roloski, who's the senior pastor at uh, First Congregational Church. And um, I thought she had some really good stuff to say. So here's that interview.
0: So, Reverend Ann, thank you so much for being willing to be on this podcast with us as we discuss churches and pandemics. and. Um, I guess right off the bat you've never been through another global pandemic before right first
1: (laughs) first time no no this is a first i think it's a first First for most people born you know after 1920 but uh at least in this scope so Um, they didn't
0: they didn't give you any training in the in the becoming a reverend manual through
1: the class and seminary on how to lead your congregation through a pandemic so i don't even have my notes so i'm completely as one of our leaders likes to say uh we're building the airplane while flying it that's how it feels to be doing it yeah that's
0: gonna make it extra interesting because off the cuff basically is what we're what oh we're...
1: absolutely the turnaround in the spring was unbelievable you know we we had literally no notice it was you know oh well you know we ought to spread out we ought to use hand sanitizer we ought to whatever and the next thing you know oh no 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 no, we can't even get together in the same space so that's... it was really felt like a three or four day turnaround from Strategizing how to be uh, uh, safe in the church um, with just sort of good hygiene and cleaning, to we can't even be you know anywhere near each other. It was quite a it's quite wild. a dramatic turnaround. Yeah.
0: And I remember, I think I was there probably, if not the last week before you closed, the second to last week, because I brought my daughter with me. It was International Women's Day. I was so excited. I remember taking a picture of you and her. And I, rem- and I remember saying to Nate that morning, like, um, I wonder what they're going to do for passing of the piece or like, you know, the little things we do where we have to get physical and it's like, no, well, there'll be something different we'll be doing. But it was sort of that start in where you were mentioning to the congregation a lot of people aren't here because we understand, you know, it's and then it, it went from that to like the, the borders are shut. I can't even. Everything I went mean, from that. that to stay home. You know? Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a
1: quick turnaround. It just was like everything changed in the matter of a couple of days.
0: It's so yeah. wow. it's so surreal still, um, I guess I'll start it off with some really general broad question. What is it like being a pastor during a pandemic?
1: You know, it seems that the nature of this illness, the nature of COVID-19, is hitting us exactly where we live as a community of faith, right? Because the one thing you can't do is come together. You know, when 9-11 hit, when, when the recession hit, when any number of other crises hit, Our instinct is to come together and support each other quite literally, you know, physically, to to hug, to to gather, to eat together, to to remind ourselves that at least we have this, right? At least we have that sense of relationship. This is hitting us right there um, where we can't be physically together. It's um, as a pastor and one who um, every pastor has their their strengths that they lead with. for me just instinctively it's relationships and a lot of that is the real human energy exchange <laughs> that's why our church is so you know ridiculously huggy right because we just really really love being near each other and this has been really uh, difficult how do you translate you know, pastoral care onto this kind of format where you're either a disembodied voice or you're a, a face behind a screen or something. You know, it, um, and then just trying to capture the sacredness of worship um, again in a in a format where you don't have that give and take among the congregation. You can't hear the the laughter or hear the singing or um, you know get those wonderful knee hugs from the children on their way up to the steps for the children's moment, you know, none of those things can happen. So um, in some ways it kind of distills the question of what is worship down to its essence. On the other hand, to me, it feels almost incompatible with what made I think our worship at first congregational church. So deeply meaningful for all of us, which was this amazing rainbow, multicultural, multi-generational family coming together in one space. That was, I think, part of, the, part of the real magic, frankly, of Sunday mornings at FCC, and you can't capture that the same way on technology.
3: Right.
1: It's a struggle, but it's, it's, it's really strange to be imagining all those faces um when I'm preaching instead of seeing them there's just a real different feeling I feel like there's just I just bring such a longing just a real emotional and spiritual longing to my recordings and to the writing of the sermon that um is different
0: that makes a lot of sense um I had a question when it came to COVID and do you have I mean are there congregation members that you know of that have gotten sick with it i know new jersey has gotten hit the per death capita rate is higher than anywhere else in the the whole country so right we got thankfully hit fast and hard in new jersey
1: gratefully we have had no one within the congregation pass away we've had we have had close friends and family members of congregants pass away um and we've probably had a dozen people get sick some quite severely um, with some short hospital stays, uh, which was really difficult because I couldn't go. I couldn't be there. Um, those were primarily, well, when Jersey was really crazy, which was April, right? That was when it was kind of at its, you know, peaking. So we had um, uh, a couple of folks quite seriously ill in April. Um, one, one person, um, uh, their partner reached out to me. Uh, really quite distressed um, about the situation, and um, I prayed with, with them on the phone, and then um, with with the partner, not with the individual who was sick, because I couldn't, you know, but what I then did was I um, I recorded myself, vi- videotaped myself, praying for him and laying my hands on him, and, um, and asked um, his partner to pass it on, and he was able to do that, because The gentleman had the phone in his room, and he said that made such a tremendous amount of difference. He just kept listening to it and listening to it. Um, It just felt like so little. It just felt like so little. Um, But I just tried to use the technology as best I could um, to share, you know, my love, my concern, to rain down blessings and prayers for healing and comfort and rest and strength and all of that, you know just such strange times it just it, it's it, like I was saying in the beginning it 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 pulls at the very things that makes church church which is to me that sort of being together and sharing comforting one another um, and exchanging those blessings and energies I mean I know that's not all that church is but it's a it's a part of it. Jesus was a really hands-on guy. He was very <laughs> tactile. He was always touching people. He was always using the elements at hand. He was always sort of gathering folks in in this big, messy wonderfulness. And it, it, it's hard to, to feel the distance in these times. This particular cruelty of this, of this uh, type of virus, congregational life itself is a, 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 a source uh, of, of really potent spread. You know, it's, it's, it's being together in a space for more than 30 minutes. It's singing, it's speaking aloud together. It's, it's, you know, hugging, it's sharing elements. You know, all the things that make church so meaningful for so many of us are all the things that really spread this virus. Um, so it's, it's, it's a, you know, I, I, I try and look at it through the perspective of um, what is this moment teaching us Uh, what do we need to distill to its essence beyond what it is to come together? How can we remain connected? How can we still feel that presence of God uniting us? Um, How is it affecting our own prayer life, our own relationship um, with the God of the cosmos, who is so much larger than this moment that we're dealing with, and yet so intimately a part of every breath we take? You know, it's um, this fall we're doing a sermon series um, uh, called Wisdom in the Wilderness and the lectionary happens to be using the the, um, Exodus passages from the point that they leave Egypt, go through the Red Sea, and now they're wandering for the 40 years. That happens to be the scheduled lectionary text. And when I read that, I just said, okay, here we go, because that really is the question. You know, how do we find God's presence and deeper wisdom about who we are in relationship to God and one another when everything that's normal has been stripped away? I'm sure you know enough about the Exodus story to know the Israelites were not cooperative. (laughs) (laughs) So it speaks to you, does it? (laughs) About this situation. (laughs) And they put Moses through his faces and they were, you know, they they were throwing tantrums left and right. Um, and uh, wanting to return to the old normal, and willing to risk it all to do that, and there's just so much about these wilderness experiences that I think this moment has to teach us uh, that we will need to carry with us into this new normal that we'll be engaging in when we're done. This, this, if we don't learn from this situation. Um, we're just not going to be prepared for all the other lessons that are going to come our way in this new era. That to me, this is the heart of things. How do we deal with change? How do we deal with not knowing? How do we deal with grief? You know, how do we, how do we find God in places that seem to be without anything familiar for us? But there's a, there's a lot, I think, um, spiritually to be gained from this. So that's one of the challenges and, and one of the things that, frankly, is sort of inspiring about my role at this time.
0: I'll change directions a little. You were, I, At one point you were mentioning, um, you know, uh, pastors, you know, uh, thinking of all the things they can do to, to make their, their service um, better equipped for social distance sort of church and putting in all this labor and then four people showing up. But then you have, then you have in some places sort of uh, congregations where... I'm going to say, and, and pastors too, going with it, where it's like, this is not even happening. We're going to pretend there's no pandemic. And 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 actually, and I guess this was, I wanted your perspective as a pastor, that thought process of, um, you know, comments that, you know, we're trusting in God and we're not living out of fear. That sort of rhetoric that, you know, ends up being sort of a driving force for places where they're not social. Like they haven't done what you guys have done in terms of, putting a pause on on meeting together
1: right um yes I'm very aware of the churches that are defying you know uh, what this is and insisting on worshiping together as if that's the sign of faithfulness I suppose um I, I it puts me in mind of you know Satan taking Jesus up on top of the of the of the pinnacle Um, during his 40 days in the wilderness, so here we go, a little wilderness wisdom, right? Um, And saying, you know, if you believe that God loves you, throw yourself down and God will save you. And Jesus says, we're not to put God to the test. I mean, just baseline. um, Our faith in God, God's love of us, does not protect us from a virus. I mean, we know that to be true. The theology behind that is just so troubling. Um, when you look at all of the individuals, virus aside, whose lives are marked by illness and injury, um, to take that theology to its logical conclusion is that uh, people with the right kind of faith in God would never be um, exposed to any kind of physical danger or illness. We know that's not true. Um, in fact, I mean, in our, in our uh, faith tradition, we believe that that's where God meets us most profoundly. Just as God, that's where God met Jesus most profoundly in his moments of deep physical suffering and pain. Um, So no, our faith and our church life and our Sunday mornings are no protection from the virus. It seems to me to be um, a certain kind of spiritual arrogance um, to uh, decide that you're going to put your congregation at risk in order to prove a theological point. Um, God doesn't need us there on Sunday mornings. God knows that we are worshiping with all of our hearts in whatever manner we can at this time. And uh, I believe receives our our prayers and our praise and our longings every bit as much as when we were shoulder to shoulder in that sanctuary. Um, It it feels to me that that is playing um, uh, very fast and loose with the health of a congregation as I said, to make a theological point that I feel um, is not sound. Um, I think God more wants all of us to come through this and out the other side uh, with our lives and as healthy as possible. Um, I think about, you know, when the, when the um, during the Babylonian exile, when the remnant of Israel was taken into Babylon and needing to figure out how to worship God in a strange land right? And having to 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 figure out how to maintain the traditions and the connections that they thought were just bound to the temple. You know, without the temple, we're not worshiping. And it was clear that throughout those decades that they were in exile, that they in fact were realizing that God meets them wherever they are. We might consider ourselves, we can use exodus as a metaphor, we can use the exile as a metaphor. We're exiled from that spiritual um, mothership, you know, that 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 center right now that we know and love, but that doesn't mean that God hasn't followed us into our homes, onto our Zooms, behind that camera in the mixing studio to make the recorded worship studio uh, worship service. God is present in all of it, um, and I think that it's that there is a certain kind of smallness that um, takes a stand it says that unless we can be as we've always been, God is not praised. God is so much bigger than that. I think that's kind of our smallest talking. So I I think that the church can still be what it's always been, which is that community that sees Christ in one another um, and and where we live out the gospel um, by caring deeply uh, for each other. We just have to get more creative
0: with how it happens. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's what I was going to say. We just need to be creative. Um, This has been a really fun conversation and I could probably just talk for hours with you or listen to you for hours because I really enjoy hearing that. I mean, even in your sermons, I've learned so much uh, on how to look at this whole event um, with the pandemic in mind. And I'm always fascinated that the new takes you bring to the table, just sort of uh, touching, mixing spirituality and our faith with, real life, right? Which is what you do as a pastor. There's no separation. You know. There's yeah. no separation. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so so much for being willing to to join us on our podcast. And oh, to, I was and- thrilled to get the invite. Two of my favorite
1: people are right here in front of me technologically. Um, and it's wonderful. Thank you so much for letting me share with both of you. This is a great idea. I'm looking forward to many more episodes.
2: Excellent. Alright. So I think that does it for today's show. Thanks for listening, and please spread the word about the show and check us out on social media. We're at don't repeat this podcast on Instagram, at don't repeat pod on Twitter, because Twitter has a character limit. And you can send feedback to don't repeat this pod at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.
3: I'm Vicky. I'm Gail.
2: I'm Nate. And this has been Don't Repeat This. So um Don't Repeat This Stuff at the Dinner Table.